0: Children of all ages, the Logicade Radio presents the greatest of in the world, the Market Samuel Fan, the devil's advocate Shinobi, the lunatic king Maverick, and single-syllable Mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we get through work for you! Subloads of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond.
1: It is Friday, and we are here again. Um, this week, with then not being very much going on at all in the world of wrestling, really, apart from some quite disappointing stuff uh, on weekly TV, uh, we decided we'd actually do a little bit of a historical show, and as it's myself and plan, um, we decided to kind of make it. Uh, new gen themed. So we're gonna take a look at the legacy of In Your House as a pay per view brand. Um, and I mean really kind of you know take a look at why we think those shows are a model for for how you know WWE could actually do pay per view a lot better, you know, even today. Um and so yes we are once again being the new generation cheerleaders.
0: <laughs> of course we are. It's they're they're desperately needed. And you just, uh, what spurred this on, my suggestion, and it was uh, your column, Mav, on In Your House Final Four, In Your House 13 Final Four uh, of February 1997, uh, which is a show that you and I both hold very dearly in our hearts and are big, big, big uh, cheerleaders for. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's it's a timely choice of subject as well. It's not just a, a a random let's talk about new gen again deal because of course we've we've come off the back of a Royal Rumble that was five hours long, heading towards a WrestleMania that's probably going to be six hours long, uh, you know, with with three hour pay per views in between, and it, even the standard pay per views now have developed a very bad habit of going close to four hours in their own right, and. You know, I mean, I, I dare say people who listen to probably get sick of us banging on about it, but it's because we feel so passionately about the fact that the best wrestling shows, like in your house, are those that are, you know, two and a half, three hours is okay, I think two and a half hours is optimum. Um, and, you know, there are some in your house pay-per-views that are each shorter than two and a half hours. Um, well, they're great fun. And, you know, what, what struck me... Was that we've just had this five-hour Royal Rumble show, and I don't know if you've watched the Worlds Collide uh, show that they put together yet, Mav. Uh, but it's no, it's not yet. it's I mean the the it's a bit weird how they do it because they they like show the first like first round match and then they show the last first round match and nothing in between and it's like they pick
1: one yeah. final The uh, so the, li- like, the live stream of the first round, the whole first round, is on YouTube
0: oh is it oh, yeah, yeah 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 right. so uh, oh, okay.
1: I've actually got that queued up to watch after we finish recording funnily enough oh <laughs> uh,
0: okay I didn't realise that but the the one on the network uh, which is like takes highlights and stuff and then shows the semi-finals and final and fall um, as well as the opening battle royal is a great example because it's it's you know it's so refreshing to sit and watch that it's, I, I can't remember what the length of it is off the top of my head but it's something like two and a half hours again
1: um,
0: it may even be shorter than that it might even be two hours Um, and it works really well it's got a very unique feel to it and it's you know it's got some decent matches in there the battle royals have a really good quality Uh, i've not got through the the semi-finals and finally yet but you look at the talent some of the talent involved and you can't help but imagine they're going to be great matches and it's a testament you know and it reminded me as so many of these network specials have like beast in the east and live from madison square garden when they did roadblock that year before wrestlemania uh, it reminded me so much of in your house, because it's a unique concept that's happened almost as a one off. Uh, and I guess the first point that I'd make about in your house, you know, we, we, we live in an, in, an, in an age now where WWE's pay per view model has never been more homogenous than it is today. You know, you have pretty much, with maybe with one or two exceptions here and there, you have pretty much the same pay per views in the same months, year in, year out, many of them named after a gimmick, so you know exactly what kind of matches you're going to get. You know, you always get the world title matches, you always get, you know, the, the sort of the intercontinental title matches, you always get the pre-show tag team matches. And it feels, you know, every stage is the same. The tone is always the same. The lighting is always the same. You might as well be watching the same show uh, with just, you know, I mean, appreciating the matches change or, or whatever, but we've, I mean, you yourself have mentioned on, on the pond in the past about the, the hollow sense of lack of personality that pay-per-view has these days. And you look in your house, every one of them had an individual name so you know you had triple header or final four or cold day in hell or revenge of the take you know they were named specifically and singularly for the the match type or the storyline that was happening at the time and and that paid dividends because there was a sense of and there is even now like that was the one night i'll only ever get to see that particular there's such a, a sense of individual personality to each one of those pay-per-views and a sense of an occasion because of that
1: that lacks today there's a lot to break a lot to break down though, those comments i think i think the thing that, that really struck me about um going back and deciding to write about final four was um you know i wanted to do something that was february themed and february funnily enough is a is a straight strange how it, when you go back through time um, and you look at where the good pay-per-views are february actually has a lot of them Um, But I think Final Four really stood out to me as being uh, an interesting confluence of history. But then, as you say, uh, as well as all of the sort of virtues it has of being at that beginning of 1997 with that incredible run up to WrestleMania 13 and afterwards, it's an hour and 43 minutes long. (laughs) An hour and 43 minutes. And, you know, about half of that is the main event. Uh, And so you basically have, you know, three or four um undercard matches you get an Intercontinental title match you get a tag team title match um and you get a, a curtain jerker with a couple of mid cards and i tell you what is that's not an nxt takeover i don't know what it is <laughs> 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 and, 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 and it's like this is the thing why do people enjoy takeovers so much i think that's what they've got what people have got to ask themselves is and even takeover has started to interestingly follow the the past of any house by starting to get gradually longer over the course of its history to the point where I now at kind of 2 hours and a half 2 hours 40 um when they started it being i think the first one is like an hour and a half even um so it that's that's really interesting to me that the, the biggest smash hit that WWE have had really if you take um from you know 14 onwards has been um those NXT takeover specials and they so much follow the in your house pattern and it's bizarre to me that they haven't really understood um, that that on the main roster would be just as successful and i think there's a lot of reasons behind why they don't get it i think it's because they've got this huge roster they feel they need to use um, as much of as possible um they went to single brand pay-per-views but they kind of got cold feet on them because some of them you know Funnily enough, some of those look a little bit like an In Your House show. I'm thinking particularly yeah. a couple of the early raw ones, uh Clash of Champions with the Owens Rollins match stands out to me as being a little bit like that. Um Backlash. The first backlash on SmackDown, absolutely. Um those sorts of things. And actually they were great shows, but then just as within your house, you had a couple that were a bit thinner and and you know whereas in the nineties they'd have gone like, oh well, you know, that's just how the how the cookie crumbled that month i think they got panicky and they decided to weld them back together and lo and behold every even the non-big four shows sense of generally being over four hours long which is which is just which is just far too long and i think your other point about the individuality of the shows you know they let the storytelling um, and the long-term booking dictate the character of the show. And so, as you say, like, sometimes it was to do with where it was, like Great White North because it was in Canada or, you know, but sometimes it was to do with the fact that it was, you know, it was, um, you know, beware of Dog because British Bulldog was challenging Shawn Michaels or, um, you know, or it was um, Good Friends, Better Enemies because uh, because Shawn Michaels was wrestling Diesel who used to be his tag partner. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing that I think even... NXT Takeovers missed that now. You know, I mean, I said before to much ridicule from Mazda in particular that I, I really don't like the naming the Takeovers after the cities. Like, you know, yeah. if, if somebody says to me what happened at NXT Philadelphia, I wouldn't have a clue. If you ask what happened to NXT Takeover Rival, we had to reel off the card for you right now. Um, I, I just think it, it. You know, when when they had these kind of these themes that that went across. Uh, went across the show it it just worked beautifully and final four of course is the is the very best example in wwe history of using a gimmick because the storyline has dictated it to you and not using a gimmick because your pay-per-view is called tlc and i think that's again something that we've talked about so often over the past five years isn't that scary um that these these gimmick pay-per-views are uh, something which really caused the storytelling to fall down nine times out of ten. No better example than Hell in a Cell, where you get ridiculous things like CM Punk against like Ryback and Paul Heyman, and oh, this sort of nonsense. It's just, it's just not, not ever going to be anything decent.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a good point you make about the early takeovers in particular, um, and. Uh, like you mentioned, takeover has kind of slowly started to drift towards the same sense of homogeneity that I think main roster pay per view has, and people, you know, NXT has such a passionate following, uh, particularly on the IWC, that it's it's you know I sometimes fear that it becomes immune to to any kind of level headed criticism. Um, but but I think you know, and people will say, well, the the, the formula is successful, and that's fair enough. You know, you're going to stick to a successful formula. But I'm a wrestling fan. And as I've said a thousand times before, I don't really give a shit about what's successful from a business perspective. I give a shit about, you know, what I want to see as a fan. And uh, and when I get the same number of matches and the same kinds of title matches uh, on shows that happen at the same time of year, that are always named after the city. Um, and even War Games now has become an annual thing. Brooklyn has become an annual thing, um, or at least has been in, in, in the last few years. And it just, you know, it just it there's a charm that gets lost because of that. And in your house, if if there's one thing that you can say about those shows, because a lot of people will point to, you know, the 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 thin cards or or whatnot. Um, But the thing is, they always had so much charm about them because as I said earlier, they have this very strong sense of individuality and a very strong sense of personality that comes with it. I mean, like you say, you could recite the Takeover, uh, you know, one of the, the Takeover Revenge card off by heart or or whatever, you know, whether it's Takeover, I think they probably ran out of, of puns on, <laughs> Ripe right, Takeover Rival, Takeover Arrival, uh, and so on and so forth, but um, I mean, those earlier Takeovers were fantastic, The the sort of the and we and you've said this in the past you know on a airing on a wednesday night in full sale you know um and you'd have these these cards that had a little bit more uh imagination to them i dare say um but like even so i just thinking of some some earlier in your houses off the top of my head you know a triple header for example which was headlined by sean and diesel as intercontinental and world champion against it was supposed to be against owen and yoko as the tag champs and it was winner takes all. Um, you know, all the titles on the line. It wasn't just another monthly pay-per-view means another one-on-one title defense and maybe we'll throw a gimmick at it if they've already wrestled a couple of times. You know, they were thinking outside the box, it brought together some shared universe because you had all these different moving parts in one place and they're not, not settled with that. They then pile on top of, of that something that In Your House did brilliantly that's another lost art for pay-per-view over the years in terms of they, they and In Your House would do this a lot, was a narrative that ran through the night, because on a, a triple header, I think, like, I can't remember how they play it, but, but there's something about Owen not being able to compete, and so Bulldog replaces him, and then they kind of, like, gives, you know, the villains a psychological advantage, because Sean and Diesel have prepared for Owen and Yoko, and then Owen t- actually turns up in the match, and almost tries to cost, you know, cause Diesel to lose the tie and it's just great stuff, you know, and it gives that that like I've been able to recite all of that because of the sense of individuality that that pay per view has in my memory. I won't be able to list you every match on the card, um, but even if you were to go back and watch it, you know those. I mean, I guess we could get into the charm of, of, a, of, a, of a you know a, a, a mid card that's willing to make do for lack of a better term later. But yeah, I mean that's the other thing. Not only have they got their own you know their own titles and like you said, the storyline has driven the, the the what they've booked and whatnot but they always had so much individual personality as well they told their own unique stories through the night another one is i think it might be um revenge of taker when brett and and austin wrestled for a third time and austin gets ambushed earlier in the night by like the heart foundation who were trying to give brett a leg up and stuff so you had these narratives and attitude was good at that as well you know attitude was was good at telling those those narratives through through the course of a pay per view. Um, though, I mean, I know you're a big fan of Grand Zero. What's interesting on the length issue is that I think when you get, to, when In Your House moves to three hours, I think the quality decreases in general terms
1: compared to sort of the, the two hour versions. It's interesting because like, um, I think people often forget that the In Your House branding lasted all the way until. Backlash '99. So that so the, so the yeah. first the first backlash was in your house. Backlash, and then of course it became uh, a regular a regular name after that. But you know even in attitude, for example, um just after uh, you know just when the the uh, the Rock was getting hot, he got his own pay per view. He got Rock Bottom in your house. Bottom, yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite um, yeah, when DX got hot, they got DJ Generation X in your house, and it was the pay per view after Montreal. So it was like a really you know, a really kind of controversial and, one with Triple H, you know, kind of going up against... Uh, I think that's the one where he goes up against Sergeant Slaughter, if I recall. Um, I think it, it is, yeah. And, you know, you get all kinds of all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I think at the main event, it's like Ken Shamrock v. Shawn Michaels. It's like Michaels' first title defence. But the whole... But yeah, the, just the whole kind of way that, that they... Well into Attitude, they took the pulse of what was happening with the roster they had, who do we need to introduce, you know, who do we want to give a bit of shine to in the mid card? you know, um, who are the guys that are going to go out and just work a great match for us? So Owen and Bulldog are the absolute workhorses of, you know, all of these from, you know, from the middle of 94, uh, right up until, right yeah, up until, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, right. Well, 85, sorry, 90, 95, bro. and then all the way up until Bulldog, um, and Owen, well, Bulldog leaves after Montreal. They are the workhorses of the whole thing. And, you know, you you could pick almost any of them and you'll find a great match where either Owen and Bulldog are tagging together or, you know, one of them is wrestling a mid-card match. Or, you know, there's so many matches that they, they just decorate with their with their kind of routine mid-card brilliance. You know, I, I guess in a similar way to in the early 2000s, people like Jericho and Badmar were doing.
0: And I mean, you mentioned Rock Bottom there, like you think over, over recent years they kind of missed up. You could have easily like when Ambrose was red hot. You know, you could have easily
1: named Ambrose you know,
0: silent. Yeah. A, you know, something like like you think about the when he at Roblox when he wrestled Triple H for the world title, like you could have easily named a pay per view after that when he was like the hottest thing in the company, or you could have easily named one after Rollins when he was doing the whole authorities Golden Boy shtick in, in two thousand and fifteen. Or one after Daniel Bryan when he was red hot in you know, in in 2014, um, and and it and it does help. I mean, it's this isn't just, I think, you know, hot air or, or uh, you know, rose tinted glasses on something that I liked in the past. Because you think about something like Canadian Stampede, and you think about that that five on five tag team match, and you think about or or indeed the final four, and then you think, well, how might we think about those matches, final four or Canadian Stampede main event, if after they'd seen the success they had in '97 with those ideas, they went, okay, well now Final Four is going to be an annual, an annual pay. Every February is going to be Final Four, you know, and, and you had six or seven Final Four matches after that. And then they said, okay, well every July now we're going to have a pay-per-view in Canada that's going to be about the fact that it's in Canada, it's Canadian stampede, and it's always going to be as jingoistic, you know. And 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 you have, you know, and the five-on-five main event becomes a tradition, and you pile those on. Like it loses that sense of 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 that match only ever happened on that night and that story only ever happened on that night and that's you know I think that's a that's a huge part of the charm and the appeal that in your house has and I think that that's translated as well it's it's a reason why I still fondly remember Beast in the East like the show itself is is kind of okay you know you get a great Jericho Neville match the tag team match main event is like Cena and and Ziggler against Kane and Wade Barrett or something like that.
1: <laughs> that was weird was um, it, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but you had Owens and Ballard for the NXT title on and there and stuff, but the reason you remember it is because it had mm. such a strong sense of individual personality. Um and and that that only ever happened on that one night, you know. And I and I I would like WWE to go back to that. You know, I don't understand where the logic is in saying Backlash has to be I mean Backlash is is probably one of the better pay-per-view lineages since since Attitude, but you know, just just take him in a name that springs to mind. I don't understand why backlash has to be, you know, that's that's the that's the May pay-per-view. It always has to be in May. You know, or Money Money in the Bank always has to be in June or July or whenever it is. Like I don't understand that logic. I never really have, if I'm being honest.
1: No, no, it's it's something that that basically started to started to fall into place from. Well, I mean, I guess that, that, you know, halfway through the Attitude Era, they started to, to, yeah. to, to kind of slot in. Because obviously, WrestleMania was always in April and Survivor was always in, in, uh, in November and SummerSlam was always in August and Rumble was always in January. And then they just started to kind of coalesce these, you know, these semi-permanent shows. And it took them a little bit of um, tinkering, like, you know, there are two fully loaded and then that dies out and then there are... Um, you know, there's a couple of the others that the names didn't last. Um What's another one that springs to mind? Judgment Day, for example, we've not seen since, what, like, 09? Mm. Um, but it's... I, I think it's 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 a kind of sense of a company who are suddenly starting to want to control everything, I think. yeah, And, and more so than ever once you get to 2010, 2011, and, you know, these gimmick pay-per-views really start to take a you know, a chokehold on, on on, the kind of booking philosophy of the company. And as you say, on those rare occasions where they actually decide to book something which is in keeping with what's going on, right? So, for example, I mean, I always think of that SummerSlam 2010 main event with uh, the Nexus, like, you know, that wasn't your typical SummerSlam main event. You know, it wasn't a title match. It wasn't, you know, a kind of... Uh, a, a, you know like the top stars in the company it was basically a, a bunch of unknown unknowns really that that had kind of did this upstart invasion and then they they basically took on you know some of the most prominent people in the whole company and and that was that was kind of that was one of those things where it's like okay right that reflects what's going on it was a bit of a risk to take and i applaud that so when it does happen you know you you see the benefits of it um but you know too often they're just like, oh, hang on, we've got Elimination Chamber. So seven guys will have a brawl on SmackDown mm. and then they'll get put into that match. And then we've got this women's tag title. So what will happen is some of them will announce it on Twitter and some of them will uh, have a I match know, to get I in know. and some of them will announce it on TV. It's like, what what even is going on? So, yeah, I think that's the thing is that I, I like my wrestling to be as organic as possible and to kind of develop over time. And I think, you know, they they, they lost that arse. I think, you know, they, they like to have these kind of, I guess they like to have these stats, as you mentioned this word earlier on, lineages. Um, and I guess if you've got a different name for your pay-per-view every time it comes around, then, you know, they, they find it more difficult to do that. But what the In Your House branding allowed them to do was to keep a brand but then yeah. have a sort of subtitle and they could, and that's exactly. what I've done with NXT takeover as well. You know, like this is the thing it's like, you could easily have, you know, um, raw colon clash of champions. <laughs> you know, it would not be that hard sure. to do. I and mean, that's maybe, you know, might have to workshop that a bit. I'm not a, a marketing <laughs> man, but, but you know, like you get, but you get the point. Raw colon pay-per-view. <laughs> Generic pay-per-view. Where's what I got at the moment, isn't it?
0: Well, quite, yeah. No, you're absolutely bang on. I mean, that the, the you know, and they get to, they would get to keep the lineage that way. You know, you can talk about oh, it's the you know, it's the 14th paper on your network pay-per-view, uh, you know, and think about all and and do all the usual BS that they do around these things, which no one really cares about anyway. Like, no one cares that it's the 15th TLC or anything like that. That's that's you know, it's stupid. It always has been stupid. Um, yeah, uh, I mean it's it's that there's been so many instances I think over say particularly since thinking about it particularly since sort of 2014 I think there's been so many instances where you've had a hot feud or a hot rivalry that would lend itself well to that kind of a pay-per-view format. Um, I think you know obviously Daniel Bryan versus the Authority springs to mind, but also the Shield versus the Wyatt's. You know, and you think about how how big a deal that rivalry was at the time. And indeed, in my book, 101 WWE Matches to See Before You Die, I write about how, you know, in my mind, that, that six-man tag is something of a spiritual successor to the Canadian Stampede main event. You know, and you could easily see Shield versus the White's headlining like a two-hour modern version of, a, of an in-your-house pay-per-view. And you could name it, you know whatever you wanted, something after a line in a Wyatt promo or whatever to, to market that. Um, and from a marketing perspective, I can't help but feel like it, like doing that and giving them individual monikers. You know, you think about It's Time, uh, which was obviously meant to be Vader's sort of time to be world champion. They eventually gave it to Sid or Mind Games because Mankind was challenging for the for the world championship. I can't help but feel like that's a more interesting way to market the product anyway than just saying, you know... Unforgiven, or uh, you know, giving them these really kind of cliche names, and now they don't even do that. Like, I can't help but feel the cynical part of me feels like um, it's all about making it as easy as possible for the creative team to put in as little effort as they need to, you know, so they don't have to worry about the October pay-per-view come. No, it's hell in a cell, you know, so whatever feud we've got going on, we'll just put one of them in a hell in a cell match, and that's the pay-per-view sorted. You know, we'll TLC or we'll just we'll just what feuds have we got going on, we'll give them a TLC match. You know, it's it's such a lazy way to do it. Um, and, you know, I mean another another example that springs to mind of, of a of a a pay per view in recent years that would have would have fit well into this kind of format is um, Night of Champions twenty fifteen when Seth had to defend the, the US title against Cena one night and then the world title one in one match and then immediately the world title against sting in the following match like that's 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 the kind of thing that's made for in your house like they would totally have done something like that on the in your house paper and this is the other thing the in your house franchise uh was so willing and able to experiment with with match cards and main events, particularly, you know, I've already mentioned Triple Header. There was the uh, the the second in your house was was the Lumberjacks where they did the Lumberjack World Title Match. Uh, you know, you have Final Four, which we've already mentioned a bunch of times. Um, trying to think of, of some others here, and my mind's kind of going blank. Canadian Stampede, I guess, is is another one. Uh, you know, you had Rage in the Cage and stuff, and it's a standard cage match, but still, um, good friends, better enemies. You know, it was it was. It was such a fantastic franchise, man, because you have all of these such unique shows and unique main events. I mean, you know, I started a series a number of years ago that I never finished where I was reviewing every single entry in the In Your House series. Um, And even though I didn't finish the columns, I had, I'd finished the research. I'd watched every In Your House pay-per-view. You've done the same. You did a series many years ago where you reviewed the main event of each one. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, blimey, that takes me back. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it was just that, like I keep using the word, it was that uniqueness that we're missing these days. And I can't feel like if you'd have had a pay-per-view, I mean, people talk about the shields white tag match, but if it had headlined its own little two-hour pay-per-view, if Seth's seen a sting, you know, double-tap had headlined its own two-hour pay-per-view, and, and so many other versions of, of, you know, I mean, Brian versus Kane, the one where the the Extreme Rules match that they had it, like the the month after WrestleMania, no one talks about that anymore. But it's another example of had that have happened in 1997, it absolutely would have had a an in your house pay per view named after it. And the same with um, uh, you know the Evolution and Shield matches are another great example of that. Um, or the uh, Fatal Five way at Extreme Rules a couple of years ago to determine who's going to challenge Brock Lesnar. And and it's, it's amazing when you start to think about it, how much just naming a pay-per-view after a main event like that can help imbue that said main event with an extra sense of occasion.
1: Yes, well, the greatest Royal Rumble being a notable exception, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not the greatest Royal Rumble. Um, right. But... but um,
0: and crown yeah. jewel, far from the crown jewel of.
1: People. Oh my God! That, well. Yeah, well, that's probably that might be the worst pay per view that's ever taken but, place anywhere.
0: But I mean, even there, you know, as much as that was awful, um, and interestingly, I did watch the Great Royal Rumble back for my recent Rumble series I did on LordsOfPain.net, which you can still go read, by the way, folks. Uh, and it wasn't quite as terrible. The Great Royal Rumble match wasn't quite as terrible as I remember it It's Still far too long, obviously, and fifty—you don't want fifty-man Royal Rumbles, but it was it was relatively okay. But even in those two occasions, you've at least got a show like In Your House Crown Jewel, headli- I mean, headlined by that tag team match. No one wants to see that tag team match. It was awful. It was an abhorrence. But I'd, I'd admire the uh, the pay-per-view model if that was something that yeah. you to
1: do. The Sydney show um, was mostly quite good, I thought. Um, and it obviously had that great Shield-Dogs uh, of War match in there, didn't you? And I, I think you know, we talked at the time that we hoped that these international house show come pay-per-views would be a kind of modern in your house. And of course the salesy ones didn't really turn out that way, but you know, it is something which I think, you know, with the growing NXT UK with NXT itself and with 205 live, I mean, there's now a a petition on Twitter for 205 to have pay-per-views, which I think is quite interesting. Um, and run by the 205 wrestlers by the looks of it and uh, it's it's certainly, certainly again something like you know why why not have um, yeah, a one off you know to, cruiserweight pay per view and it's interesting because like stuff like the Mae Young Classic and um, you know and the uh, and what is it the cruiserweight classic um, and of course the NXT UK uh, tournament every but well, it's been every year so far whether that's going to continue to be the case I'm not sure Um, But those, again, have been something which have won a lot of people's um, admiration for their kind of old school manner of doing things. Right. It's a tournament. You you have some stories that build up through it. You get some unexpected people that make it to the end. Some of the favourites do. You know, people that go out even in the early rounds might turn up later on on one of the one of the shows or other and say, well, you know, I've got my toe in the water now and I'm going to see how far I can go. So someone like um, Fabian Eichner, for example, is in the first cruiserweight well the first and so far any cruiserweight classic but now he's an integral part of NXT UK and he's absolutely tearing the place down um so I just think like the whole old school methodology has got so much to recommend it because whenever they, they do something like that people like it and that's 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 the thing that most stands out to me I wrote a column last year where I was talking about their model their main roster model and it was almost as if they were they were making a product for nobody because, you know, all the old school fans or, or you know, newer um, indie you know, fans that also watch the indies um, who are a bit younger uh, will be drawn towards your NXT and your NXT UK and, and perhaps 205 Live. And then all the all the fans that, that want, you know, uh, that want the old school stuff will probably just watch the old school stuff on the network and maintain a subscription for the back catalogue. Because the the actual main roster stuff, like who's it aimed at? Yeah, quite. Like, because if it's aimed at casuals, that's by definition a group of people that only watch your product two or three times a year. Like that's what being a casual WWE fan means. So it's a bit like they were creating this product which was which was bloated and full of part-timers and you know they were they were deliberately pushing people that the, the the regular fan base didn't want to see pushed and it was a bit like what are you what are you trying to achieve with this because you know you send the popular acclaim and you know obviously i always think back to that cm punk promo line you know uh, vince the millionaire should be a billionaire he'll make money despite himself because yeah. Um yeah, as long as they make a truckload of money, maybe they don't think quality matters. But with like we talked about a couple of weeks ago and with Doc last week as well, uh you wrote uh, your your competition column on this. Like with AEW around, um I don't think they can afford that. Because again, AEW's pay per view that is you know, it's in way it was was it called AEW then? It was I don't think they had a name for it at that point, the company. But the pay per view they put on um last year was very much a kind of old school affair influenced by the old school NWA. And, and, you know, it, it just shows you, doesn't it? Like wrestling has a set of conventions and tropes for a reason. It's because they've worked for a long time and it's almost like WWE have, WWE have forgotten what has worked in the past for them.
0: Well, this is it. And, and WWE need to be careful. They need to remember that wrestling fans didn't become wrestling fans to see Vince McMahon make a lot of money. And wrestlers didn't become wrestlers to help Vince McMahon make a lot of money. You know, pro wrestling fans became pro wrestling fans because they love good wrestling. And wrestlers became wrestlers because they love being wrestlers. And if they're not being able to do that in WWE and fans aren't able to see that in WWE, they will go elsewhere. And good luck making a truckload of money when half your roster ups and carries out an exodus and goes to any one of now a huge... Huge number of viable options for them to go and make a decent money you know in a decent living but have the much greater uh, creative output but I mean we're we're toying with with uh, with very deep issues and what's going to be very interesting because AEW now are promoting their double or nothing show in Las Vegas in May and it's gonna be interesting to see what kind of a pay-per-view model that suggests Um, because you know depending on on sort of how accessible it is i will be very interested in perhaps checking that out uh, and if it turns out to be you know a two hour show a two and a half hour show uh, that doesn't take me an entire weeknight or two to get through um then that's going to be very very refreshing when you then pile on top of that the kind of the, the cultural issues in play in the company uh then it could be very good indeed um it's it's a curious state of affairs in WWE. I'm I don't know what the end game is. I don't know why things continue in the trend they continue in where everything get keeps getting longer and everything keeps getting bigger. Um because I don't understand and it, it may be that there's a very val- valid reason, but I don't understand how that helps them in terms of all of this profitability that they're now meeting with and their international expansion. Like why why does that mean you've suddenly got to make every pay per view four hours? And why does that mean every pay per view has to be exactly the same as every other pay per view? Um again, you I mentioned it earlier you you've spoken about this on the show relatively recently, I recall, about the or it might have been on social media, about the, the, the pay per views just not having any soul to them and, and feeling very much like commercial exercises from, you know, the design of the cards to the I mean it, Let's take that, for example, card design. We we spoke about this last week, I think, and, and the importance of card structure. Um, and you look at pay-per-views today, and you'll have, you know, six, seven matches on there. Main events will always have to be between 20 and 30 minutes long, always, unless it involves Brock Lesnar. Um, you know, and then under that, you'll have a whole raft of undercard matches, all of which have to be, you know, at least 15 minutes long, many of them longer. And that's how you end up with these four-hour standard pay-per-views because it's not only a case of them feeling like they need to get everyone on the show, it's a case of them feeling like they've got to get everyone on the show and then give them a 15-minute match, even if, you know, it's not really a match that should be going on for 15 minutes. I noted in your final four column that you used, that you pointed out the phrase steal the show is a loathsome one. And I, and I, I could not agree with you more. And I think that this attitude that's developed where everyone has to absolutely have the best match on the card and everyone wants to see a match that shouldn't be the best match on the card become the best match on the card doesn't help to to create pay-per-views that watch back easily
1: exactly um, and, and that's that the thing isn't it like and i think like when you look at those early takeovers you know they were often they had like an eight or nine minute curtain jerker, like often including Tyler Breeze. So it was always like, you know, well wrestled, well paced, you know, like I always think back to that Breeze, Itami match that yeah. opened up rival or, you know, I think, um, isn't it the first Brooklyn? He has Jushin Liger. Um, yep. you know, like stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, those, those tag matches, which now, seem to last several days, and it's still great, but when American Alpha and the Rev- Revival started wrestling those matches to begin with, they were 10 or 12 minutes long. Like, the one that everyone remembers from, um, you know, the WrestleMania 32 weekend, um, I think it's only about 13 or 14 minutes long, and it, it didn't need to be half an hour to be epic. It was because it was it was such a, a kind of refreshing thing at the time, and I think the problem is... the the systemic problem in wwe is that the i think the talent feel that unless they wrestle these matches when everyone afterwards says that was the best match on the card you are the best wrestler then they have no upward career trajectory so there's they, they it's not in their interests to wrestle you know a kind of um you know a british bulldog or an owen hart or a razor ramon style of you know, understated match that adds something to the card without saying, look at me, because they're in a situation where they have to be, look at me all the time, or, you know, a bunch of Gibranians online will say, well, that was disappointing, or, you know, that kind of thing. And
0: and I tell you what, I think a a prime example of this is a match I was talking with Sam and this about on social media just earlier, which is Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 32. And I actually think that Dean Ambrose is someone who has, um whose image in the eyes of a lot of fans uh has suffered greatly because of exactly what you're talking about dean ambrose is the kind of guy who's going to go out there and and not necessarily seek actively to have uh you know a mind-blowingly good match with hundreds of false finishes in or whatever he's going to go out there and he's going to tell a great story that suits the the rivalry now of course there are other elements involved with the Brooke lesnar match and he's ambrose has spoken about how lesnar wasn't motivated and whatnot well, that's a great example of a match that feels like, whether it was or not, the watch is like it wasn't trying to steal the show. It was trying to help make the show a better show for it being on the card. Um, and, you know, Ambrose is, is great at that. And I think what you're dealing with from a wider perspective is a cultural shift within the industry over the that's happened over the years where, Speaking from the perspective of the fan base now, it's become more about match quality than ever before, and considerably less about story. And I know that I bang on about this, and lots so of people may be rolling their eyes, but I genuinely believe it. I said on the very first episode of "Sports Entertainment Is Dead" that fan reactions now are inherently about judgment and not inherently about reacting to the story you're being told. So if unless a match, you know, gets the melts of five stars or whatever, or comes close to that, um, then it's considered disappointment. And you just have to look at the reactions to pay per views. You know, nine times out of ten, when you talk about uh, the last pay per view, people will immediately move to talking about, well, I think this is X many stars, or I think that's many. And this isn't a star ratings thing. This is me trying to say, I think, going on what you've just said, Mav, the culture within the fan base now has become we're going to judge how good a match we thought that was rather than we're going to think about the story they told and what it contributed to the story that built up to it
1: and the problem is that we've fallen into um they, they've fallen in line with that way of thinking so the re- we talked earlier about about homogeneity and And I think, you know, these these bright lights and these soulless arenas and and these kind of generic set designs um, and matches that all feel the same. I mean, you know, I I think really in the last two and a half years of pay-per-views, there's very few. And granted, in that time, you know, I've not done very much, if any, rewatching of shows. Just because I I just haven't had the time lately, but, you but even had
0: the six days needed.
1: But but even putting that aside, you know, I I just can't remember most of them, and you know, like if you ask me to to, to name like a match for a pay per view from last year, and bearing in mind I'm somebody that the, the podcasts on wrestling and, and writes on wrestling on a regular basis, I'm still not sure I could tell you a, a match from every pay per view that happened last year. Because they weren't. There's nothing there that that, that stands out to you, or, or that that kind of says, you know, this was a special storyline, or 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 an event that happened, you know. And, and then you add in those problems we talked about before, like multiple title rematches, um, you know, part timers, um, absentee champions, um, a sort of laudable, but at the same time. Um, I would say cack-handed um, obsession with giving the women opportunities that they might not necessarily be ready for or have earned. Like, you take all of those things together, um, and you've got a recipe for, uh, and also just like, it's very faddy as well, right? Tag team wrestling, let's have a renaissance. Okay, bored now. Um, women's yeah. wrestling, they'll main event Hell in a Cell. Okay, bored for two years. Oh, now they can main event again. you know it's very well i guess it reflects that the the personality of vincent Mars that stands in the present day it's it jerks around from trend to trend without really settling on anything at least with reality you you can hold on to it and say right this is a theme that runs through the whole product and the whole card you know this idea of fans understand kayfabe and therefore we will play on that and therefore Dolph Ziggler will have Dean Ambrose shout respect the business at him because everyone knows that Dolph Dolph Ziggler mouths off on social media like and it you know no matter what match it was on the card there was something that reminded you that you're in the reality era and the big stars of that era like very much existed like on that edge between fiction and and facts um there's nothing like that that you can put your finger on now and that's that's the problem with it because the product now just feels like a lot of wrestling matches which you know um is fine if you can do it with some charm because goodness knows if you go and watch wrestlemania 3 it is just a lot of wrestling matches um and there are some themes that run through the night and stuff and it's very well put together and obviously the commentary helps immensely to kind of sell everything that's going on but ultimately you know it is wrestling match and then there's another wrestling match and then there's an interview and there's another wrestling match but the problem the problem we've got now is that you know there's not that sense of right this match understands its role it's a it's a hot tag match with the Canaan connection against orton and morocco and they're going to have five minutes and they're just going to wrestle tag and put a smooth match together get everyone excited okay Next, we're going to have a grudge match between Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules over a, a full Nelson. Um, you know, then we're going to have something with like King Kong Bundy and Midgets. Like, you know, if, that, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the, the, the design of that card, there's a load of matches, but they all do something subtly different. They they allow the evening to kind of um, head along at the right pace. There's peaks and troughs in the right places. And then you get that you get the sort of the semi-main with Macho and Steamboat, and you get the main event with um with obviously Andre and Hogan. And it's it's something that seems to be beyond the most of the time now to put together a card with that kind of charm.
0: I think most of the time is the key word because it's it's not com- completely beyond them. It, they I think they've just it's 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 become a series of trends that have just been going for so long that I think they've lost the ability to look back and and realize that they once did things differently. Um, you know, WrestleMania 18 is another fantastic example of what you're talking about, where matches—I love that phrase—matches understood their role. Um, you know, you think I mean one of our uh, you know one of our ultimate hipster classics is DDP versus Christian for the European Championship on that on that show. Um, and, you know, exactly what we're talking about. It's a match that helps make the show rather than tries to steal the show. And that's a healthy philosophy to have. Uh, it has an adequate amount of humility. And, and WrestleMania 18 is is loaded with that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, I mean, I, I know you don't feel as, as fondly about it as I do, but I would maintain that I think WrestleMania 31 is a great modern example of that as well. You had matches across that card all served a different role and seemed to be very conscious of the role that they were that they were there to serve as well um, and I, I just yeah I mean it's 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 a shame that they've that they've lost this ability particularly and I, and I don't want to sound like a broken record but particularly when you think about the kind of talent that they have in there in their locker room today and but again, you know, you think about talking about matches that know their role, you think about um Final Four that again, referencing the column that's, that sort of uh, spurred this topic on, you think about Leif Cassidy versus and Mark Mero as the as the opening match to that. And you think about a modern equivalent of that between I don't know, like I don't know what it would be.
1: It'd be like a like. V somebody probably wouldn't it? Yeah, a like Elias V, v
0: Ty oh. Dillinger or something mm. like that. And they and they wrestled for eight minutes and they, they wrestled a match comparable to that. I feel like the reaction would be, well, that was crap. You know, because because we've become so used to the fan base has become so used to living in this age of hyperbole. Um and like you said, the company kind of have have adopted this themselves. Like the number of times these days where the commentary, for example, uh, will emphasize, you know, what a fantastic match this is. What a great, and that was one of the greatest matches I can remember seeing. One of the greatest tag team matches of all time. That was an instant classic match. You go back, you watch, to bring us back to to In Your House, you watch through In Your House pay-per-views, or indeed through New Gen in general, um, even through Attitude, I dare say, the number of times that the commentary team would sort of contextualize a match's success has specifically that was a classic match it was few and far between like it was very rare that they would that they would the commentary would explicitly go bang on and on and on about how specifically amazing a match it was because they were too busy telling the story the match was meant to be telling um, and so again that's another facet of of how wrestling culture has changed in over the decades to one that I think personally not to sound like a curmudgeon uh, is is has lost. The real beauty of, of professional wrestling as an industry.
1: Yeah, no, I would, I would agree. I think, I think the thing is, is that I was having a conversation with Doc um, a couple of years ago now for his show, and we were talking about TV and the way in which TV historically has gone through peaks and troughs, Um, and you know, like everyone always remembers the horrible trough around 2003 when it was like, you know the sort of the evolution show on raw and stuff like that. And, you know, and obviously it went for another really bad patch, I guess, between sort of 06 and 08 or so, um, you know, and then, of, and then kind of mother bland bit around 2010. And then obviously you suddenly get the, the reality stuff hits in 2011 and suddenly like TV is really good for a while. And, and then, it you know, we kind of come down from that again and it's a bit, I guess wrestling can be a bit like that. I think what has alarmed me over the last couple of years is just this um inability, at least perhaps until recently, to see that that this um shiny um sanitized I guess I'd say product is what people want because I don't I don't think it is. And it's interesting in that sometimes like Like Elias, for example, right, is a character. And I'm no Elias fan, but I appreciate this about him. He's a character right out of the 80s or early 90s. He's not a very good wrestler. He's a character performer. And when he has matches, they don't tend to be particularly long. They're there to just get his character over. And so they're doing something like that, which is really old school. They were all set to give Lars Sullivan a massive push straight out of the 80s. Basically, it's the guy that shouts and is big and throws people around. Um, and he had a very kind of old school match with Alistair Black um, at, a, at a takeover, didn't he? And I just think, isn't it peculiar that, that they will they will take things that are very unfashionable from their past and put them in their present. But when it comes to the way the whole product operates, they're not really prepared to commit to it. And I've never really thought about that before. I'm not sure how you mean. Well, I mean, like... I mean, using that example... Sure. Like, taking um, a character like Elias that isn't, you know, a, inverted commas, great wrestler that, that has, like, 20-minute matches that everyone's going to remember. Like, he's he is... You know, he's a modern-day honky-tonk man or he's a modern-day, you know... I don't know, like... Trying to another heel of that sort, but Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Jeff Jarrett could work, though. That's the difference, I guess. But but you know, it's it, it's a character that doesn't seem to particularly fit well in two thousand and, uh, and nineteen, and and yet they they've committed to him supposedly because Vince likes him and thinks it's funny, which is fine. Um, and they've committed to people like Ryback and people like you know Lars Sullivan who again have gimmicks and movesets and acts that are very much early nineties acts and and yet something like In Your House, they're essentially, you know, by implication, saying is you know, not something something that's concise to the past, something that we don't want to talk about because it's in the new I, generation. Yeah. And you know, it's I it's interesting. Like mean. there are things that they will mine from their past. That seem quite unfashionable but yeah like we say you know the takeovers uh, are, are kind of like the modern successor to in your house if you like but they've never considered doing that on the main on the main roster bar beast in the east and a couple of those other things i think it's um
0: i mean first of all i'd say on, on the takeover front uh, i think that takeover is has become a regular serial offender of that steal the show mentality where every match is trying to be the best match of the night uh, to an almost unhealthily obsessive degree and that's probably what prevents me from from enjoying them as much as a lot of other people do I think it's it's a, it's a franchise that has completely been consumed by the age of hysteria that we live in um, just a side note there yeah I see what you mean I, I think a large part of it is probably down to um, how best to phrase this to, to an almost to like a, a sense of insecurity uh, or, or a fear of of how people will perceive them as if putting on a two hour main roster pay per view, for example, will somehow make them seem lesser than they feel they should be seen as. Um, it's 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 it remind they always they WWE always do this they remind me repeatedly and and relentlessly of uh, jeff goldblum's quote in in the original jurassic park movie <laughs> where he talks about you were so busy thinking about whether you could that you never stopped to think about whether you should uh and i mean i think that's WWE through and through you know and we've we've kind of touched on this in the, in the distant past on on the pond because now they've got the network, and, they aren't necess- and they're not and airing pay-per-views live on it, and I imagine most people watch pay-per-views on the network, then they don't feel as obligated to, to overruns and stuff as perhaps they did in the past. And so suddenly they go, oh, well, we can suddenly make WrestleMania seven hours long, and we can have pay-per-views that are four hours long, and so that means that we can bring in more talent, and we'll keep signing talent, and that means we can have a brand extension uh, and, and all this stuff, and then they just do it because they can do it. And once you've done it, it's almost like they then feel, well, we've we've been doing three, four-hour pay-per-views now. If we suddenly start doing two-hour pay-per-views, people are going to think that something's wrong. You know, this is all absolutely me reading into stuff, and there's no guarantee that any of this is is true or uh, rings true or anything like that. But just knowing the kind of the the machoistic way that the product has operated under Vince McMahon uh, and and the sense of, of bravado about everything, and and just the, the the painfully obvious philosophy that bigger is better and more is more. I feel like Vince Vince, maybe if Triple H took over, you might see that because of a love for the 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 the, business, the, the past of the industry and where the industry's come from. But for Vince, I just get the the idea that maybe politically and philosoph- uh, philosophically um he would feel like that's some kind of a loss or a defeat or a regression uh, yeah. rather than rather than an improvement
1: i think like I, I said this in a in in a column as well um before christmas um Vincentmann and Kevin Dunn make t v shows for themselves yes and that's the problem is that their vision you know it's almost as if because if you watch over the years you know that vision has changed like uh, a lot but there's some sometime around the early 2000s their vision uh became because i i think i remember seeing some statistics somewhere about how much more money they started to spend on their sets and and their pyro and you know and all that associated stuff because it suddenly got way more shiny and way more you know um flawless and homogenized and the camera work became steadier and and the whole thing just started to look cleaner and cleaner and cleaner and it's almost as if they wanted to you know you know finally and for all break away from this stigma of being a carny industry
0: i mean vince has always had a fear of that hasn't he and yeah Um, and uh, and and it's right down to the mocking tone that he used to talk about wc derbia and all the rest of it it's he's people say he's you know people have said he's he's one of the world's biggest wrestling fans but if that's true he's one of the world's biggest
1: closeted wrestling fans i mean it's interesting isn't it i mean there's a great um Great anecdote that um, uh, Bruce Pritchard was telling on one of those uh, podcasts on the network about how the, the In Your House, um, where it all went, uh, they had a power cut halfway through mm. it. And it was the Savio... Aware of dog. Yeah, and it was the Savio Vega-Steve Austin strap match. Is that right? Yeah. And, and, and basically, that match, um, you know, I think... It was like uh as it was all you know going to shit and they didn't know if they were be able to continue the show and all the rest of it. Um, Bruce Prichard just said that Vince was 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 sat there like sort of slapping uh Jim Ross or Jerry Lawler around the head, going, They're having a hell of a match, like all the way through <laughs> all the way through this. Like he was apparently just glued to uh, to Austin and Vega and he was just getting like really overexcited about it. So it's obvious that yeah, that there is a passion for it there, but like his vision of what sports entertainment or his vision of sports entertainment has become something that can, you know, he wants it to be something that competes in production values with stuff that, you know, you know, these kind of, you know, these big Hollywood STV shows and Hollywood movies do. And the thing is that pro wrestling doesn't, it doesn't really work in that context because it has to have a bit of grit to be interesting and it's always
0: you know I mean you think about talk about sets and stuff you know you think about again in your house but also particularly when it moved to that attitude point where it became a suffix instead of a prefix so it would be grand zero in your house or Helena cell in your house degeneration X in your house rock bottom in your house when you got to that point the sets start to change every single month um so, you know, you think, like, the set to the the In Your House where Austin wrestled Dude Love for the world title was specifically, you know, for that show, uh, Rock Bottom, where they had the two great big uh, posters of The Rock on either side of the entranceway.
1: Uh, and stuff Most like probably only... d- Deadly Game, and it's not, not In Your House, but Deadly Game sure. set for Survivor Series. I mean, the fact they gave Survivor Series, the, the that a tagline in 98, I think, but then again, like, again, oh, it all comes back to stuff like, you know, they were in a fight to the death with WCW. They had to, you know, to constantly be uh, adapting and evolving and taking risks. And I guess maybe the, the, the easy ride they've had from 2001 till now has led to a lot of that. Well, this is what we do. So there you go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's it's an interesting one because I was thinking about this the other day to myself. Um, you, you look back at stuff like In Your House or, or whatnot and you look at the behavioural pattern that's emerged since Vince has been unchallenged and you begin to realise that those things in the 90s that worked so well or whatnot were done because he felt he had to do them rather than because he wanted to. Uh, and when you know when when he's had this free reign, and he's been able to do what he's wanted to do. It's not, frankly, not been as good, and that's not because you know the of the good old days or anything. because of all the issues we're talking about at the minute. Um, More specifically, in the last ten years, it's worth saying, um, ten eleven, ten or ten or eleven years, and you suddenly start to you know t- to question. Or feel like you may be developing cause to question how much of a you know genius is this guy? I mean, how many failed Vince experiments have there been over the years, and how many of the great successes in WWE have been self-made? Uh, you know, it, there's a there's a worrying imbalance in 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 that proportion, um, and you know, it reminded me. I was thinking about this the other day because it reminded me a lot about the conversation that surrounds uh you know the way that george lucas has kind of chopped and changed the star wars films over the years or whatnot and and the the originals against the prequels and stuff and it's worth saying from the off i'm a, a huge fan of the prequels but the one thing that became clear uh through the prequel trilogy is that george lucas probably just isn't that great a director he was lauded as a great director once upon a time um but you know, by the time he gets to 1999, 2002, 2005, when those prequels came out, he became so obsessed over his CGI toys uh, that a lot of people claim those were were poorly directed films. The original trilogy, of course, was an amalgamation of of him and Irving Kirshner and, and uh, Robert and on Return of the Jedi. You know, different different visions interacting with one another, uh, and it's it's very comparable, I feel, to to WWE. And obviously, as the years have gone on. And Vince has, has almost become more and more capable of being in that, that, that place of total and utter control and that dictatorial top-down approach uh, that he's been able to chop and change the way that WWE functions in whatever way he's wanted to do it. Uh, and, and, and we've ended up here with seven-hour WrestleManias. I get the impression that nobody loves WrestleMania more than Vince McMahon. Uh, no one enjoys WrestleMania as much as Vince McMahon. Um, because if we're being honest, I think the vast proportion of the wrestling fan base who watch WrestleMania would rather it not be seven hours long.
1: Oh no, definitely. Um, I, I I just think that you know, uh, as as yeah, I mean, as the need to you know to be urgent and and to take risks has has gone away from him, and as his trusted advisors, you know, of that really successful here he is, you know, the people that really understood the business, the Pat Patterson's, the Jerry Briscoe's, you know, with those guys not being there, you know, the fact that, you know, Bruce Pritchard is on a podcast talking about how he used to advise him on instead of advising Mint well, should, 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 should tell you everything you need to know. Like, uh, yeah, he, he clearly, uh, Kevin Dunn has existed in the space that he has done with the amount of time that he has done because he's, Clearly, the world's biggest yes man, and I'm pretty sure there's a there's a great CM Punk um, promo about that, which I can't quite remember the exact details of. Um, but yeah, I just I just think that it it is now almost like there's two competing visions. There's the Triple H NXT vision, which wherever you say about the fact that yes, some of the matches can be grandiloquent, um, the actual spirit of it is in the the right place, well, and then just, the l-
0: let me just temporarily jump in for a second, because a lot of people have, have obviously pinned a lot of hopes on what it's going to be like when Triple H takes over. For me, the concerning thing is this. The, the, the takeover design uh, or approach to, to doing takeover has drifted closer to the way things are done on the main roster rather than the other way around. And that's a concerning sign for me. What I mean by that is takeovers have gotten longer, Takeovers have gone from being done at a time when it was being dictated by the storyline, like in your house, to being at set points through the year. I.e., we get one, on, you know, on uh, Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, Money in the Bank, and, and Survivor Series weekend. Uh, they've gone to, they've become more homogenised, and it feels like they've strayed further away from from the way Triple H was doing it and closer to the way Vince McMahon th- does things on the main roster.
1: There's, I think, I think there's certainly some truth to that. Um... But then, you know, the weekly show is still is still an hour. You know, it's still an hour long. They're still building things up fairly slowly. They've got long running storylines. Um, they introduce new characters in a in a sensible and organic way. um So, yeah, I mean, I'm not somebody that, that is get would get carried away about the idea because God knows when Triple H had a measure of creative control as a wrestler, sometimes it could go well, quite. H- Horribly wrong. I mean, you yeah, know, that early two thousands, Shawn Michaels' view that you know is is a a case in point on that one. Um, WrestleMania thirty two as well. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think as Triple H got further on in his wrestling career, I think I think you know he he had more and more of a um, uh, propensity to wrestle the Triple H match. Oh. unless he was up against someone like Daniel Bryan, that obviously was a strong creative force in their own right. Um, but anyway, that's so probably another conversation for that day. I, I think, like, rather than a, a, a finishing on a negative note with, you know, um, uh, isn't WWE, like, terrible for for, uh, for for being the way that they are, let's, let's talk about some of our favourite takeover, sorry, favourite um, in-your-house moments, I should say. Um, so let's just 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 throw a couple out there things maybe for younger listeners to go out and go and check out Why'd you even start? um I'll start if you want oh uh, yeah go for so the the very the very first. Um, in your house um so i mean back then we weren't even sure it's going to become a series you know it's just it was just you know here's a uh you know here's this kind of short uh short pay-per-view but on that match there is a, a singles on that pay-per-view i should say is a singles match between bret hart and the japanese talent Hakushi, which is one of the best curtain jerkers um you will ever witness um it's about 12 minutes long and it's It's beautiful. It really, really is. And Hikushi was a fantastic talent. He was a a Japanese wrestler with all that that implies. But, you know, he could fly. He could strike. He was strong. um, And he gives Bret Hart like a real everything that he can handle. Um, And then later in the same night, uh, because Bret does double duty, he has to go on and wrestle Jerry Lawler, who was feuding with at the time. And Hikushi was a, a disciple or a heavy of Jerry Lawler. Um, for that storyline, so I mean, that's one I would say is essential.
0: And that leads very nicely, actually, into a into a rematch between Brett and Jerry at King of the Ring that year. That's really the way that the, that builds up on TV uh, is is very very aggressive and intense. It's fantastic television. Um, there's a there's a really fun <laughs> there's a really fun match between uh, Road Dog who was the roadie at the time, and the One Two Three Kid. It might be on In Your House 3, I think, um, which is fantastic as well. It's just this really fast-paced and explosive. I'm not sure if it's curtain jerk or not, but this really fast-paced and explosive match that really took me by surprise when I when I first saw it. Um, I mean, the, the other thing I'd say as well is In Your House 2, the Lumberjacks, is headlined by Sid versus Diesel in a Lumberjack match. But don't write that off, because when I watched that, I very distinctly remember going, actually, there are... There are some very vague uh, signs here of a, a similar approach to what uh, conceptually to what Seth and Dean did in in 2014, and this was in 1995 between Diesel and Sid. Um, so great stuff there as
1: well. Uh, I really um, like uh, Vader the Razor Ramon from um, Good Friends, Better Enemies. Yeah. Um, I rewatched that recently, and basically. For those of you that really like the Eddie Dennis v. Um, Dave Mastiff <laughs> match from very NXT cool. UK, that's basically the structure of, uh, of that one. So even down to Razor Ramon trying to do the Razor's edge out of the corner and not quite being able to get Vader all the way all the way down. Um, so that's that, that's a fantastic one, because it's essentially Razor's last pay-few match with the company before he goes to WCW, and he basically just does a, a fantastic job to Vader on the way out. So I very much recommend that.
0: Takeover uh, Blackpool incidentally, uh, the undercard certainly on that show is is it's like in your house resurrected. Uh, you know the the Eddie Dennis Dave Mastiff match, the tag team title match, and the uh, the Finn Balor Jordan Devlin match. Finn, the the Balor Devlin match in particular because it has that little bit of narrative before it where he takes out Travis Banks, and then it kind of changes the the match that we get. That stuff used to happen all the time on in your house.
1: Yeah, it is. Just-
0: um, so, so absolutely. But um, let me think here. I mean, Undertaker and Vader have a great World Title match on Canadian Stampede. Hell yeah. That's that's worth. That's probably their best match together. It's
1: very, very hard hitting match that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a fantastic very, one. Very. I seem to remember. I I may be misremembering. I seem to recall that there was some some really effective, uh, finisher kickouts
1: in that. I'm not sure if I'm if I'm misremembering. Mm, no, it was. Not. It was very much. I, I I always see that match as being um something that you could quite you could quite comfortably uh plonk down in like 2013 and it would work you know it was one yeah. of those matches that felt very ahead of its time certainly different to what taker was doing you know most of the time at that point i'd say
0: um and of course the Arcandus Hogpen match between uh, Henry O'Godwin and Triple H <laughs> Lee, from In Your House Season's beatings has to get uh, a mention by me. It made mine and Doc's top 50 new generation era matches. Because uh, you rated it number one and he raised it yeah. like <laughs> 203. <laughs> um, it's a really fun little match. It's not going to knock your socks off or anything, but it's, it, it's very indicative of the style of match that would come to dominate the Attitude Era's main event scene. And here's Hunterhurst Townsley doing it before anybody else did um and so that alone is is worth you know i mean it predates buried alive and it predates you know uh, the the last ride match and all this other crap um but it operates in a very similar way so and it's great use of uh, character as well actually the idea of the Greenwich snob yes. being, uh being forced to be put into this hog pen match is is just the kind of fantastic play on character that you don't tend to get much anymore.
1: Um, in terms of... In terms of what well, one, one more kind of slightly hip one, then we'll maybe talk about some of the more famous um, main events, because obviously there's some really good ones of that too. Um, there's a heel-v-heel Austin-v-Triple-H match now. Uh, would it have been Is it from Mind Games as well? Or is it buried alive? I, I have a feeling it
0: might... It might even... It's,
1: I think it's buried alive or it's time it is buried alive yeah um it's very alive yeah so um that is well worth your time because it's it's those two characters in a way that you haven't seen you know you don't see them that way anywhere else because they're both up and coming heels you've got that really interesting dynamic where uh, a few months earlier helmsley had been denied his push because of um well, actually, well, about a year earlier, I should say. He'd been denied his push because of the uh, the curtain call. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a really characterful and, and psychology driven match. And, um, you know, it's interesting to think that the feud they'd have in 2000, 2001. And then you've got this match, which is kind of existing in a completely different um, ecosystem. So that's always a fun, a, a fun exercise to go and look at something like that.
0: There's one I really enjoy that's a bit of a guilty pleasure which is uh, when I think it's Ahmed Johnson has to wrestle a gauntlet match against all three members of the Nation of Domination one by one. Yes, group, I think Vega
1: and Crush. that is uh, it's mid-man Cold seven, Day in I Hell? Think. Cold we'll Day in Hell I think some, it is. Probably
0: sometime around there, yeah. Um, it, I think there's a great Rocky Veer Mankind match on the same on the same show actually. That, that there is. Rocky Veer getting a bit more of a a harder edge about it. Well, he
1: goes away for a bit after that, and then the next time he comes back, it's as part of the nation.
0: Yeah, but that that three-on-one gauntlet match is great, just because the match quality is not up to much, but the way it's executed, the way the idea is executed, you've got Commissioner Gorilla Monsoon out there and stuff is is just a lot of fun.
1: So, a couple of essential main events. Uh, Shawn Michaels v uh, Mankind um, from Mind Games um, is, I, I mean, I think it's a match that's 10 or 15 years ahead of its time it's just it, it's unbelievable man uh, Mick Foley cites it as his favorite match um that he had um you know he there's a really good bit in his book where he talks about how he you know he trained like a madman um so that he'd be able to keep up with sean from a kind of like cardio standpoint and they go what is it like 25 minutes or something um yeah. and it's it's absolutely breathless it's violent it's and it's it's really good for sean as well because he was starting to get a lot of heat as this boring baby face champion and he gets to have something which got him, you know allowed them to show um some grit and wrestle quite a different type of match to what the sort of matches that you associated with sean michaels back then um it's 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 absolutely brilliant you know everyone is always going to remember Mick Foley for those kind of attitude moments. But, I mean, some of his stuff in The New Generation, when he was quite a bit smaller as well, are uh, uh, well worth your time. I mean, but this is the real the real crown jewel of it, I'd say. Yeah,
0: Bulldog versus Brett in your house five. Seasons beatens. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back to Wembley's Star Wars. Is the way I always describe it. It's darker, grimier, bloodier, vicious, uh, and uh, and psychologically enthralling uh as well as of course uh, diesel versus sean at in your house uh seven i think diesel uh, be sure. oh, yeah. yeah it is yeah that's that's why it's uh, called that <laughs> no holds no holds barred with the leg uh, and uh, with the leg <laughs> uh, again it's not too dissimilar to the munker match actually very very violent Maybe more of the kind of attitude hardcore style than, than anything else. But uh, uh, I always forget how good that one is until I go back and watch it again. And, then I, and every time I go back and watch it again, it blows me away. Because Diesel, by that point, man, was he good.
1: Yeah, he really was. So it's a shame that that Diesel character, you know, we didn't get to see more because there's that great match he has with The Undertaker at WrestleMania that year. Um, and then he has that match and he's gone. And it's a bit like, oh, wow, they really could have done something with that character. Because, I mean, everyone always remembers the Diesel World title run wrongly, of course, as, as, as not being that good. Um, but, man, if you could have got that Diesel character, I think, you know, I mean, I know Kevin Nash when did some very revolutionary things in WCW. But then because the end of his tenure there is tainted by all this kind of like, you know, um, backstage politicking and so on and so forth, it's a, it feels a bit like, you know, like Kevin Nash has become a bit of a joke, and 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 actually, like he was a very good professional wrestler, um, you know, in absolutely. his in his time.
0: His, and his character arc from losing the title to Bret Survivor Series ninety five through to leaving the company was was just phenomenal. His performances were phenomenal. That's that right there is a performer who's hitting, you know, the the genuine potential of his absolute
1: peak. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's and the I- sort of thing you hope they do with Dean Ambrose on the way out the door, isn't it? But they probably won't.
0: Well, quite, yeah. I mean, that's a good point, actually, you know, um, and I guess it follows the theme of what we've been talking about the whole time is once upon a time, Guy was leaving for a rival promotion that was kicking your asses in the ratings, and you gave him a world title feud on the way out, you know, and, and a world title match in which he looks pretty dominant.
1: I would love a Loser Leaves Town match with Seth and Dean, just to close all that off. <laughs> like, War you know, after Raw after WrestleMania, WrestleMania. yeah, absolutely. Yes. I'd be all world, in
0: for the universal title.
1: I'd be all in on that. Like that'd be, that'd be, what, that what? would be tremendous. Um, all right. And then I guess guilty, you said guilty pleasure. So uh, my guilty pleasure um, is the uh, absolutely um, ridiculous and it is ridiculous I can't but I can't help liking it um from no way out of Texas in your house yeah. uh, o- o- Austin I mean heart cats Jack and chainsaw Charlie against Triple H Sabio Vega, and the new Age outlaws and you know it's it's very silly um but it's like you can see where that kind of um the WWF like hardcore division that would follow and and so on and so forth you can see where all that started and it's 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 just it's chaos and it's nonsense, but I I always enjoy it. <laughs> it's it's. I remember
0: watching it and I remember like thinking, this is exactly how me and my friends played wrestling in the <laughs> playground
1: at school. It's interesting because obviously Austin is like. His neck is is where well, Austin's neck is absolutely you know fucked. Michaels can't even wrestle the pay per view um, because he's <laughs> because they're sa- they're sa- they're saving his back until WrestleMania, so they had to come up with something to cover it. And so right, let's put Austin in a multi man match where all he has to do is walk around and hit people with a stop sign, and um, you yeah. know, and we'll let people like um, Savio Vega like do most of the heavy lifting, and and you know, it, it kind of works for that. Um, and I guess like in terms of uh, of classic main events as well. I I think, you know, the lesser known Brett V Stone Cold match um from Re- Revenge of the Taker. Um it's like it's the one that no one ever talks about. Everyone talks about the Survivor Series, everyone talks about WrestleMania 13. But it's fantastic. It's really, really, really good. Absolutely. Um but yeah, I mean I'd say to any younger fan that's that's never actually uh watched through this stuff Just, I mean, do what plans is, right? Start at In Your House 1 and just watch through them all because they are, you know, you'll get something different from all of them. Um, And actually, it won't even take you that long. (laughs) That's the great thing about it, as we said at the top of the show.
0: Um, Absolutely. Like you say, Final Four is not even two hours long. So, and it's, but it's, boy, is it worth your time.
1: Absolutely. I mean, yeah.
0: I mean, I still to this... Oh, man, still to this day, you know, I, I fire that show up. And, and from from the minute it opens with Wildman's music hitting, uh, you know, and and, Jay, and I remember, like, at one point, Jerry Lawler asking JR what Lucha Libre meant. And <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Just there's so many – I just love it, man. I just get so nostalgic over
1: that show. It is. It is absolutely brilliant. And, and I just, um, you know, there's so – you know, there are certain pay fees that just – you know like that 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 phenomenon where you really want to watch something new or something that you haven't rewatched before and then you just find yourself (laughs) like hovering over something you've seen a million times yeah and there are certain pay-per-views i just do that with like final four no way out 01 um you know royal rumble 01 like there are certain like pay-per-views that you just do that with aren't there like um Money in the Bank 11, you know, there's certain ones that you just always come back to, because they're just kind of, like, old friends that you just want to, like, you know, give a big hug to.
0: Maybe that's uh, a show for the future.
1: Oh, yeah, that's good, yeah. We'll keep that in the bank. So, um, next week, guys, we obviously will be doing an Elimination Chamber, um, preview, um, assuming they're going to book some other matches for the card, other than, like, two Elimination Chamber matches, which I don't know if they've done really yet. <laughs> and, no and, um, yeah, no. and of course... You know, we'll then be heading off towards uh, towards Fastlane and then vents events to WrestleMania things are starting to, to move quite quickly. So um, we'll see you next week for that. We might have found matter by then, but uh, if not, um, you know, we will send out the search parties. <laughs> or maybe plan is sabotaging the search parties now I think about yes, it. Yes, I have
0: going to say. <laughs> um, do, we, do, we, do we need to send out the search parties?
1: Indeed, indeed. It's like... Uh, yeah, we, we need like a curtain call for Mazda and Joey, don't we? Like they're off to uh, <laughs> off to a rival podcast. <laughs> Classic. Um well guys, uh, do rest do listen to the rest of LAP Radio's uh, shows. Uh, you know, you can find the full listings on the Lord's Pay main page as well as my columns and plans columns and all the other LAP columnists work. Go into the columns forum. Uh, Check out the competition that's going on there right now. King of the Columnists' plan is an entrance in that. Um, Also, if you ever wanted to have a go at this whole column writing and podcasting lark, then the LOP Commerce Forum is the best place to get yourself started. So, you know, why not? You could be like us.
0: Absolutely do it, man. I mean, it it would not be an overstatement to say that joining LOP changed my life 10 years ago um well, 11 years ago now um and i don't regret a single moment that i've spent at the site it's a it's a great community of people a great place to learn how to be a, a good uh, wrestling columnist we are the aew of the wrestling internet columnist world because there'll be no other site that offers you the same creative freedom to express yourself and your views in whatever way you want than lop does
1: could not agree more could not agree more fantastic way to put it right guys so um from the right side of the pond until next friday we will see you later